Well, David, it's Thursday afternoon here in the UK, and it's really been a roller coaster ride. Where do we stand right now in terms of the US presidential election? Yes. Hi, Alex. Um, it's certainly been an eventful election uh, with a record turnout. Uh, counting is still going on, but based on states called for each candidate, Joe Biden currently has 264 electoral college votes and Donald Trump 214. Um, Biden is you know, marginally ahead in Nevada and its six electoral college votes would get him to the 270 he needs to win the presidency, even if Donald Trump were to win Georgia, North Carolina and Pennsylvania states where he currently has a slim lead. But, but it's still a very close race. Um, but in the next day or so, you know, it's more likely than not that uh, Joe Biden will secure the White House and become president of the United States on January 20 next year. Is there a chance as a contested election? President Trump has called for a recount in Wisconsin and uh, launched lawsuits to delay vote counts. Um, Biden's lead in Wisconsin is within 1%, and that does allow for uh, a recount. Uh, but he leads President Trump by 20,000 votes. So it doesn't seem very likely that a recount is going to change that outcome. Um, but if Biden doesn't take Nevada and he's only you know, 8,000 votes ahead, there's still 200,000 votes to be counted, then the outcome of the election may still come down to Pennsylvania. And there, uh, President Trump currently leads by 160,000 votes but there's still 460,000 outstanding postal ballots to be counted. So, you know, the Trump team has filed suits to stop further counting in Pennsylvania of postal votes that you know, are likely to favour Biden. So, so prolonged legal battle certainly can't be discounted. Um, if Biden, you know, does take Nevada, then, then it, I think, renders um, Trump's legal challenges pretty much irrelevant. Um, But I also think there there is a sort of pertinent question is that if President Trump does uh, uh, lose the election, as as seems likely, um, you know, what happens um, before his term ends in January? Will he be a, you know, perhaps a sort of disruptive influence and, and, for example, you know, block passage of a fiscal deal, assuming one can be reached by uh, the lame duck Congress? You've previously highlighted the importance of which party controls the Senate. What happened in terms of the Senate race? Uh, It's pretty clear that there's not been the blue wave as was uh, sort of suggested by the polls. Uh, Republican candidates for the House of Representatives, as well as the Senate, have done better than predicted. In terms of the Senate, the Democrats have so far only made uh, one net gain. Um, So they have 48 uh, seats. Um, The Republicans are likely to get to 50 seats in terms of the Senate races that have not yet been called, but there are a a further two seats up for grabs in Georgia. Now, Republicans are leading in both uh, those uh, races, uh, but there's a peculiarity about Georgia whereby if if one single candidate doesn't get 50% um, of the uh, vote, then it goes to a runoff um between the top two candidates on the uh, 5th of January so we may not know until the beginning of next year for sure who's going to be in control of the Senate because if the Democrats 
won those uh, Georgia seats in a runoff on the 5th of January, then the Senate would be tied and then the vice president would have the um, casting vote. So it's, you know, it's still um, uncertain, but I think it's still pretty likely that the Republicans are going to retain control of the Senate. And I do think that means that, a you know, a, a big, large fiscal stimulus, uh, the $2 trillion plus proposed by the Democrats, won't get through a Republican-controlled um, Senate. Um, uh, encouragingly, the Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, said yesterday that a COVID fiscal package should be done before year end. So, so there is some possibility of um, some fiscal support for the US economic recovery. And, and I think many, for many investors, I, th I think a Republican Senate is viewed positively, although it implies less fiscal stimulus, it also takes off the table the prospect of higher corporate um, uh, and other tax increases, uh, healthcare reform, it reduces the likelihood of a sort of antitrust move against big tech and re-regulation, all of which were part of the democratic policy agenda going into the election. Why did markets rally through yesterday, despite the uncertainty around the US elections? Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything was bid yesterday, and that rally has continued today. I mean, equities are sort of ripping higher, uh, credit indices and EM assets are uh, you know, much stronger, and, and government bond yields are falling. Uh, I have to say, I, I am surprised by the strength of the rally in growth-sensitive uh, risk assets. Uh, a Biden presidency and Republican Senate, which, as we've discussed, I think is the most likely outcome now, does imply a meaningfully smaller fiscal package than would have occurred under a unified government, you know, whether that was led by Joe Biden or, or, or Donald Trump. Um, I, I think the rally in US Treasuries is key, though. Um, Ten-year Treasury yields have fallen by some 15 basis points, um, led by lower inflation expectations. And I think lower Treasury yields have benefit long duration growth assets. So it's basically US technology stocks that have led um, this, this latest rally in equities, along with sectors such as healthcare that were fearful of democratic um, uh, policy proposals that are now unlikely if the Republicans hold the um, Senate. I, I, you know, I think the market's placing even greater weight on more monetary easing from the Fed, although I don't think we're going to get any policy announcement at the end of today's Fed meeting. And finally, you know, investors went into the election relatively cautiously, carrying less risk and more cash in portfolios. And I, and I think they've decided to get back into the market on the prospect of a win for you know, Joe Biden, who's going to be a you know, more predictable, more centrist um, president than uh, Donald Trump. And, and, you know, a Republican Senate that will hamstring Democrat proposals for higher taxes and regulation. What do you think of the market implications of a Biden presidency in split Congress? Yeah, so I guess, you know, will, will this rally continue? Um, I, I suspect it will. But, you know, it's important to note that it's not the reflation rally that many investors had bet on in anticipation of a blue wave. Instead, it's, you know, longer duration um, US and, and, and associated US growth assets, I think, will continue to um, outperform. The, the, the blue wave fiscal reflation trade of higher treasury yields um, you know, cyclical outperformance, um, I think it's kind of come to an end and, and is in reverse. 
you know, that could come back onto investors' agenda when, when and if we get positive news on a vaccine before year end. Um, I, I think a, a weaker US dollar um, and under a Trump uh, sort of win makes sense. Uh, a Biden presidency implies less trade war and uncertainty risks that, you know, were dollar supportive in the uh, sort of Trump era. Um, and with lower, you know, government bond yields, more central bank uh, liquidity, I, I, I expect credit spreads to continue to move uh, tighter. And, you know, Biden and the White House, uh, more easing from the Fed, um, I think is you know, unambiguously positive for emerging market um, assets. Um, a word of caution, though, and that's around the sort of, you know, outlook for the US economy. I mean, recent economic data, um, you know, confirms that the US recovery is pretty strong. We had a, an ISM print for October that was better than expected, suggesting, you know, solid growth in services as well as manufacturing. But, you know, we are seeing a pickup in uh, COVID cases. I think that's going to accelerate. Uh, previous fiscal stimulus is waning. And so, you know, we could get a deterioration in the outlook. I think that will add to pressure on Washington to do a budget deal uh, sooner rather than later. And as well as, you know, on the Fed to, to, to ease further. So I, I still think that ultimately it's about, you know, the outlook for monetary and fiscal stimulus, the path of the virus and, and the economic recovery, um, that's going to be you know key driver of markets into year end. And David, since we last spoke, the second wave of the virus in Europe has taken off and governments have announced tighter social distancing restrictions. Yeah, I mean, you know, very sadly, that is the case. And, um, you know, the restrictions are not quite as severe as the lockdowns in uh, the spring. I mean, factories, construction, schools, are still open in most countries but you know I, I do think these tighter restrictions and you know the spread of the virus greater uh, social distancing is likely to tip the European and, and you know UK economies back into contraction um, this quarter. Uh, at, at last week's ECB meeting uh, President Lagarde effectively pre-announced an expanded and extended program of asset purchases from December. Uh, the Bank of England uh, today also increased the size of its QE program. So, you know, we're getting more central bank liquidity uh, for uh, European markets. It's going to be supportive of fixed income and credit. But, you know, the impact on the real economy, I think, is becoming ever more marginal, which is why, you know, I keep on banging about the need for uh, fiscal uh, stimulus. Um, you know, and it's worth noting, just looking beyond Europe, I mean, COVID cases are actually falling in Latin America. They remain uh, low in, in Asia, but as I sort of alluded to earlier, they are on the rise in the US. Um, daily confirmed cases in the US are rising at more than uh, 95,000 a day. So, you know, there's, there's very little appetite in the US for renewed lockdowns, but, you know, if hospitals start to become overwhelmed, then there may be little um, choice. And we do know that, you know, the US has followed the virus trends in Europe with a sort of, you know, two, three week um, lag. So I do think it's going to get worse um, in, in, in the near term. And I think that is a downside risk for the sort of US um, outlook, as well as, as, as it clearly has been for uh, the European economic uh, recovery and for um, European uh, markets, you know, there's always 
on, on the other hand, and, and it's a big other hand, which is that we're also, you know, hopefully we'll get a positive vaccine announcement over the, you know, coming uh, weeks as large phase three trials come to an end. So to conclude, we're kind of back to kind of repeating that mantra that, um, you know, the, the sort of longer term outlook is still tied to the pandemic, the path of economic recovery and uh, policy action, even as I think markets will continue to rally um, in the near term, you know, as we get past the event risk of the US elections. Thanks so much for your update today, David, and we'll speak next week. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties, as defined by the FCA only, and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice, and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except pursuant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials. The offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay Fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay Fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K 3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.